0: Hi, I'm Rosie Acosta. I'm a meditation teacher, speaker, and author of You Are Radically Loved, a healing journey to self-love. Look, I grew up in East Los Angeles during the 92 LA riots, and it set me on a troubled path. I didn't grow up with mentors in my life, so I turned to reading as many books as I possibly could to learn about the purpose of life. In my journey, I found that having these conversations gave me life, and I decided I wanted to create a place where I could share these conversations with my community. So come have a sit with me as we learn about, well, everything.
1: hello hello everyone welcome back to the radically loved podcast i'm so honored to be here with you today and bring you our guest scott i should have had you pronounce your last name because i Mm -hmm. do not want to butcher it
2: no great way to remember is i put the gay in shigeoka so scott shigeoka (laughs) (laughs)
1: that is adorable i love that I Thank love you it. for saying it's, it. It's Japanese, <laughs> it's, right?
2: Yeah, it's Japanese. It actually means the layers of mountains that stretch into the distance. So when you're, mm. you know, at sunrise and you know you're looking for that really cushy meditation spot when you're like in nature and you go to like the top of this mountaintop and you can see like that that fog, the cloud or whatever it is coming in, and the the, the mountains just kind of disappear into the distance. That's mm. what Shigeoka means. It's like the layers of hills that extend. It's Very poetic. Mm-hmm. Everything in Japanese is so poetic. Like, komorebi is my f- favorite word. The sunlight that streams through the leaves of a tree. I'm just like, okay, okay, Japanese.
1: Oh, I talked <laughs> about komorebi with um, Candace Kumai. Her Ooh, mother's Japanese.
2: Yes. And
1: that was the first time uh, she was on the podcast. Oh. Gosh, what episode is that? I'll have to link it in the show notes. But if yes. you want to listen to that, I would I would highly recommend it. Oh my god, yes. Episode.
2: Yes, need need Candace in my life. Yes. She's adorable. Everybody <laughs> in her life
1: in their lives. <laughs> um, as are you, Scott. So, Scott, you congratulations first of all on your book coming out this Thank week. It's publication week, and this is a book that I cannot highly recommend enough. It's a book that everyone <laughs> needs in their life. Seek. Oh, we're both holding it up. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) It's like twinning. Seek, how curiosity can transform your life and change the world. And um, I don't know if I mentioned this to you, Scott, but I am a communication major, not mass media, but interpersonal communication. Mm -hmm. So part of my college experience was sitting in small group. We sat in circle and we would do things like make eye contact with each other, study body language, um, get curious about what things meant. And that was my whole college experience. And I just loved it. So when I started to yes. read Seek, I felt like this would have been a textbook that could have been a textbook that I would have read for one of my um, my classes. And it doesn't read like a textbook, like you're so engaging, you're hilarious, and it's actionable and functional. Um, so first of all, thank you for writing this book. Yeah.
2: And yes, let's bring it into those kinds of classrooms. That's what I also did. Um, you know, coming up in college too, a lot of that, you know, open and nonverbal and verbal, how do you create an open-ended question? You know, Mm -hmm. how do you like sit with folks in both the good and the negative emotions that are coming up for them? Such good training, especially because I think it's so useful across our entire life, right? Not Mm -hmm. just in work, but personal relationships in my part romantic partnership and my family and my friend you know, with kids, you know, it's, yeah, it's, I love that we both have that background.
1: Yeah, me too. And I, I just really resonate with the way that you write and, um, all these questions. So, okay, I've I have like a bunch of notes and I have a bunch mm-hmm. of points I want to talk to, and I can already tell we're we're gonna run out of time. So I'm gonna list off a few to plant some seeds, and we'll see how far we get. And maybe we just have to do round two or something like that. Love. <laughs> <laughs> but so, okay, so I want to talk about shallow versus deep curiosity, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and seek is really it, what I took away from it is, I mean, it's in the subtitle curiosity. Like we're seeking. Curiosity, right? So when we mm-hmm. say seek, we mean curi- curiosity in essence, but that level of depth that you're talking mm-hmm. about.
2: Exactly. I want to talk
1: about how to ask better questions. Mm. So this is like in the same realm as moving towards deep, deeper conversation, deeper curiosity. I want to talk about the dive acronym. I love mm-hmm. acronyms. Huge mm-hmm. fan. <laughs> um, <laughs> I want to talk about why you are such a fan of dopamine. Dopamine, height, man.
2: Yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I want to talk about the three cardinal directions of Mm. curiosity. Um, Mm. That one really hit home. It made me think a lot about childhood and this idea that I feel like as children were born, we're just naturally curious, right?
2: Oh, 100%. Yeah.
1: And then some of us, I've, I've met people in my life, and you speak to this in the book. Who are the people in your life who seem to go beyond Mm-hmm. that level of mm-hmm. curiosity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I always wonder like, how do they retain that? How does life yeah. not jade them? How does yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Um okay, I'm gonna stop there because I'm just gonna keep Oh my God, love.
2: Great highlight reel. Love it. Yes. I've been to it. <laughs> let's right? dive in. Okay. <laughs> where would you like to start? Do we
1: want to start with dive?
2: Yeah. No, let's always I, I like the um the kind of narrative arc you just created. I mean, we can start with shallow and deep curiosity. I think that's Perfect. really a great place to start. And also just a definition, like what is this curiosity thing you're talking about? Because it can mean so many different things to different people. And to me, when I think of curiosity, I think about the desire to understand, to to know things. But I think it's about more than just how do I learn about the facts that are going to, you know, get me to win the next trivia game, you know, which is, you know, a type of curiosity, you know, and I use that spectrum from shallow to deep, right? So almost like the ocean where there's shallow water and deep water. So on the shallow end, shallow curiosity is about how do I get data and, you know, just like information points, you know, what's the tree in my backyard? Um, You know, what's on my schedule for later today? You know, they're just very, it's, you know, just gets you some quick information. Um, And, you know, that might look like a question like, hey, what's your name? If you're in conversation with someone or where do you live or what do you do for work? You know, these are just like information points that sort of get you along in a conversation or a relationship. Then as you move down the spectrum towards deep curiosity, you go beneath the surface, you start to see more of the substance, more of the stories, the values that are underneath a person that are inside a person. It's more nuanced, it's more complex, it's juicier. And that might be instead of a question like, what's your name? You might ask, what's the story of your name? Who named you? Can you tell me about the people who named you? Mm -hmm. Um, Or instead of saying, you know, what do you do for work? You might say, when will I know you're really flourishing in life? Like, how will I know? How can I support you when you're most alive? When you're not feeling like you're alive, you know, how can I be there for you? Right. So you start to get into life experiences. You get to know a person much deeper than just like, oh, I'm from. Oakland or I'm from Seattle or, you know, I do this job in accounting, you know, and and those are information points to start with. But then there's a much deeper territory to kind of wade in and, and dive into. And I like to say that it's like an ocean because, you know, shallow isn't worse than deep right just like Mm -hmm. in an ocean you're not gonna be like oh i don't mess with the shallow i'm only about the deep all the time right just like you wouldn't go to a conference and immediately start off a conversation with a stranger and say so like what's your deepest childhood trauma go also my name is scott right like it's it's that's like a lot for a lot i mean i would actually probably be down to talk about that and would find like a really beautiful space for us to like really drop into that conversation. But not everyone's down with that. Not everyone thinks that's an appropriate way of entering into a conversation. So you need that shallow as a gateway into the deep, right? So curiosity Mm -hmm. is a spectrum. And when you move towards the deep, I like to expand on that definition of, of a desire to understand to a desire to understand so that it becomes a force for connection and transformation and that's the promise of deep curiosity. If you want to connect, you want to transform, well deep curiosity has got you, you know.
1: Mm, so that's so yeah. beautiful. I yeah. love that. Yeah. I want to I think there's a skill here that needs to be developed and mm. I know mm-hmm. you give us tips and tricks mm-hmm. in the book. Is there anything that stands out in terms of like well, how do we learn to ask better questions? Yeah. Because there's yeah. a jump from like being able to move a cognitive, maybe intellectual, but also there has to be some sort of willingness to connect to move from that shallow question to that deeper question. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Any suggestions to get there? Yeah.
2: And, and curiosity isn't just about question asking, that's definitely a major component to it. But I like to think about, you know, why are we born with curiosity? We we'll look at our ancestors. You know, mm-hmm. they needed curiosity to to think and wonder and explore. Right? Maybe there's water at the other side of that mountain. You know, what happens if I eat this berry? Right? But there's also, you know, this kind of curiosity that's about learning. Right? So, it's, how do you build that tool? How can we continue to, you know, create things like a fire? You know what does that do for us? But then there's also components like social curiosity. How do I learn about the people around me? How do I know that they got me if a predator were to come through? Right. So you know groups really thrived well when there was a curiosity that was present. Right. It helped folks to stay alive quite literally, but also helped them to you know grow, to learn, and you know that's why it's passed on to us, and we're born with it. And they have you know the social science research to back that up. They find that in infants focus on novel stimuli for longer than known stimuli, which means that it's not something that they're taught. It's just something that we are born with. We just like have a fascination towards it. And we'll talk about dopamine later, but there's this whole pleasurable, happy hormone aspect to it that's really fun too. And maybe is a reason why we find curiosity so enjoyable and pleasurable. Um, But yeah, so for me, I think that it's Curiosity is something we're born with, but you know, you're also born with, you know, you can, if you're not asexual, you can you're, you're down with sex, you know. And just like you are growing up in the world, you can get practice with it as you grow into, you know, adulthood and you learn more things about your body and pleasure and your partner or partners, right? You know, even though you're born with this capacity to have sex, you know, you can always grow into it. You can always practice it and learn more about it and become Better at it. The same is true for curiosity, right? Like we have it at birth, but we can also practice it. It's a skill. It's something we can le- learn and grow with. And I like to, even though I don't go to the, you know, with like weightlifting gym a lot, <laughs> I think it's a great metaphor <laughs> because I'm more of a runner and I, I love yoga too and meditation, all the things that many of the people listening and probably also enjoy. But you know, let's talk about weightlifting because I think it's a great metaphor you go in, when you lift weights, you're not starting off by like bench pressing 300 pounds or squatting 200 pounds, right? Yeah. <laughs> you start with a lower weight, right? Because if you go too high, you might injure yourself or the person not spotting you. And the same is true for curiosity, right? Like in the book Seek that I just wrote, I write about being a progressive and going to a Trump rally or I talk about, you know, being queer and meeting with people from organizations that do anti LGBTQ legislation. Mm-hmm. Like that is like bench pressing 300 pounds, y'all. Like, I'm not expecting everyone to read this book and then to go to a political rally of the opposing view <laughs> you know, point. Um, but you can eventually get there through a lot of practice. So in that way, it is a muscle. Curiosity is a muscle and you can grow it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I'm yeah. like, how, Why? But how, how, how,
2: oh my God, let's talk <laughs> yes. about that. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, there's a bunch of practices from social science, right. And, mm-hmm. you know, one, I think that a lot of the audience will love here is the idea of quicksanding. So this idea of slowing down. So when you're mm-hmm. in quicksand in real life in the desert somewhere and you're like, ah, and you don't want to die because you've seen all those movies like Indiana Jones and you're trying not to die. Um, what do you do? And survivalists will say, don't freak out. Don't flail. Slow mm-hmm. down. Mm-hmm. Take a deep breath. Become more buoyant. Fill your lungs with oxygen. Make yourself lighter. And then you slow an intentional movement to kick your feet, to get the sand to shake up. And that'll help you to rise to the surface and you can get out of quicksand. Well, the same is true when we're in quicksand in You know, our own personal lives. We feel like we're overwhelmed. We've got the dog and the kids and aging parents and our responsibilities and our friends and this thing's happening and that thing. And then, you know, this crisis and that crisis. It can feel really overwhelming. (laughs) We're just like, when am I going to have time for myself? When, how am I going to navigate life when I feel like I am almost drowning? Right. Mm -hmm. And what the practice of curiosity really is about there is to start by slowing down, get really curious about what's happening with your breath. Slow down your breath, get curious about what's going on inside of your body, you know, and then start to use slow and intentional movement. Maybe that's a 10 minute walk around where you live. And you're just getting really curious about the trees and the wildlife and, you know, that little flower that's growing in the crack of a sidewalk. And that just allows you to center yourself ground yourself. But the social sciences, doing something like that, slow intentional movement, can actually help you with mental clarity, can help you to make better decisions, can reduce anxiety. And so there's a lot of um, you know, sort of helpful foundational work when we slow down, when we quicksand that can then open us up to be curious about the person that's standing in front of us or sitting in front of us in a conversation or even getting curious about ourselves, something that we often forget to do. So that's like one example. I mean, there's so many examples of how to get curious. That's not just like ask questions, right? And that's what I wanted to make sure that the book covered is what's like engaging, playful, fun, interesting way to be more curious.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'm taking it forward. Let's say we've done the groundwork and we're like, okay, I want to go into the anti-Trump rally. I want to go talk to somebody with a completely opposing political view I want to have mm-hmm. a really hard conversation with my teenager <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> totally yeah to me, it totally anyways. um
2: it can be just as volatile right? and unpredictable totally yeah
1: and I'm thinking and it can sometimes like,
2: surprise you just like it did with, you know, my the the Trump rally I went to, right? And just like, wow, that wasn't as hard or as scary or what I thought it was gonna be, because we make you know assumptions. and that's part of the practice of curiosity is to yeah. sort of challenge them. But sorry, go on, love, yeah, yes. No, no. Yes. I want you
1: to I want you to like dive in and, and cut me off and tell your story. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But I think the the question that I'm trying to get to the heart of or the intention behind this question is yeah i'm somebody who wants to have these kind of conversations. I want to understand, but it feels to me like I kind of get stuck in a trigger response or maybe it's a trauma yeah. response so there's this cognitive dissonance between what my body will allow me to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so I find you know grounding slowing down practices like uh, the quicksand idea yeah. very helpful as laying the foundation. then yeah. fast forward to being putting myself into the situation where I'm having that hard conversation yeah. where i'm making all these assumptions about. This is going to be a battle. Somebody's mm-hmm. feelings are going to get hurt. My life might be in actual danger. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. what do we do? <laughs> How do we set this up for a group that might be inherently, we're assuming, I'm assuming, that might be inherently resistant to yeah. hearing your ideas or sharing um, something with a little bit more of an open mind and an open heart?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, so much of what, You know, I love that you want to talk about the cardinal directions because I think this is a great moment to do that. Where you know there's inward, outward, and the beyond. Those are the three cardinal directions of curiosity. Mm-hmm. Inward is how to get curious about yourself. It's kind of what you would do maybe in therapy or if you're doing you know, any kind of embodiment exercise. Um, outward is about getting curious about what's around you, whether that's other people or nature or systems or culture. And then the beyond is what's not in the physical realm. So that might be you know God or consciousness, the divine for some of us. It might also be seven generations from now, who's not yet born or our ancestors. They're no longer with us or are not yet with us, but there's so much we can be curious about. And I like to tell people to start with the N-word. Like before you're going to drop in, you know, with a teenager that you are, you know, raising or um, you are going to go to a rally of the opposing political party, you know, drop in and get curious with yourself, you know, what are the different voices that are coming up for you? Um, how do you, are you aware of when certain emotions are boiling up or coming up? In certain moments, um, what is it that you really want and need right now in life, in this moment, in this relationship that you're about to have a conversation with? Um, and and from there, when you have when you start to develop a, a muscle for it by going inwardly curious before you even go out and start to like you know impact others, which could lead to negative exposures or consequences. You know, you really start to hone that practice with yourself. Then you can start going towards those are closest to you you know who you feel may safest with maybe that's mm-hmm. a romantic partner uh, maybe that's your um, siblings you, your best friend and you can start to exercise the muscle of curiosity with them you know if you're noticing that you're not asking lots of questions in a conversation where there should be two voices or if you notice there um isn't you know you're, you're not being attuned to um, what's coming up in your own body as you're having a conversation with your best friend, then it's going to be a lot harder for you to access that, you know, in a high pressure, tense, you know, moment mm-hmm. um, with a teenager or, you know, at a different political rally. So like I said, with the exercising it as a muscle, you can really grow it you know, and grow it and strengthen it so that you can start to be more equipped when you enter into these scarier situations or these situations with more unknowns. Um, And then I like to introduce practices with, you know, that that are all about preparation. That's the I and the dive model, right? So every D-I-V-E, the whole model, it stands for the four core muscles of deep curiosity. D is detach, I is intend, V is value, E is embrace, and they all mean different things. D, detach, let go of your ABCs, your assumptions, your biases, your certainty. If you can let go of assumptions, biases, and certainty, you're on the way to getting deep curiosity unlocked for you. I and 10, how do you create the mindset and the setting for curiosity? So when you're thinking about your teenager, where are you physically? Like, what's the environment? Are you at a loud concert venue trying to get curious, or are you in a really safe space where both people feel like they can actually access curiosity? V is to value. So um, that means to see the dignity of the person you're being curious with, and that includes mm-hmm. yourself. Mm-hmm. So I can't go to, uh, you know, a Trump rally as a progressive and dehumanize everyone that i meet expecting that that's going to actually lead to something fruitful i need to honor the dignity of every person no matter how they vote even if it's different than how i would vote and i would expect the same treatment back towards me right Mm -hmm. and then e is embrace which is to welcome the hard times because that's actually the moments we need to be the curious the most is when we're going through grief or heartache or loss or you know a shift in some major way maybe a big move or a career change and so um you know, I always, I always let people know that in order to strengthen the muscle, you can access any of those big, you know, four core muscles, D, I, V, or E, and it'll help you to get there. So, yeah. Mm. yeah. so
1: helpful. I love that. Yeah. You just like went down my list of things and were like, boom, 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 bam. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I wanted to um, pull on embrace a little bit more because yeah. as I was listening to you describe these four core muscles of deep curiosity, I was thinking, I wonder if people get stuck anywhere along the way. Mm. And this mm. is also something that you pose the question at the end of um, the three cardinal directions, inward, outward, and beyond of, you know, which one of these do you resonate with m- yeah. more? And I think it's there where you talk about is there anyone in your life that you can see emulating these three totally types of curiosity and so I immediately thought of someone who I feel mm-hmm. like oh, who did you think of life. what's that
2: who did you think of yeah I thought I'm... of a
1: really good friend of mine that I run with I'm also a runner
2: oh yeah who
1: has this like it, it's almost like a child, like like they haven't lost their innocence in terms of mm-hmm. asking the why questions mm-hmm. or being really curious about other people and why they do things. Like they're a people watcher mm-hmm. and they just are endlessly fascinated. Mm-hmm. And I'm always kind of like, where did that go within me? Because I used to be like that. And so back to what I said at the beginning, like I'm always curious about, do we – is it kind of like a rite of passage that we go through this period into adulthood where we kind of lose that sense of curiosity? Is it a result of becoming jaded in life? I was curious what you thought
2: about in your research. Yeah. And I'm also just so curious about like where you think, you know, it went for you. I mean, Mm -hmm. the interesting thing is that in the research, um, you know, when you look at a meta analysis of like a million participants across multiple research um, um, sort of papers they actually found that curiosity grows with your age. So as you get closer to elder years, I mean, that's when you're the most curious. So there's kind of this myth that only the young are curious, only Mm -hmm. artists are curious. It's actually what it shows, it trends towards is up until the point you get to cognitive decline, you're becoming more and more curious, right? And you might not be asking like, all of these questions like why is the sky blue? like What's going on with this tree? Your, your questions change, right? It's like, yeah. what does this mean for me? What is meaning? Um, you know, what am I looking for in a partner? You know, what does this um, practice of meditation bring to me bring to others, right? Like the questions change. Yeah. Um, maybe they they look different. We also change the way that we think about curiosity, right? Like maybe we're thinking about the beyond more than we are as kids, you know, as Mm five-year-olds like running around, right? We're very outwardly curious, but maybe as we grow older... We're much more inwardly curious, like what's going on in our interior world, what's going on beyond, what does consciousness mean? How do I explore that? How do I think about my years left in life, my decades left in life as an exploration of consciousness and like what really matters to me, right? Like that is curiosity and it is deep curiosity. And I'd like to push back when folks are like, I've lost it, like. It's the same thing that happens when people are like, I'm not an artist or I'm not creative. It's like, no, I call BS. <laughs> like Everyone is creative and artistic in some way, you know, and we but we are told at, that, you know, if you can't hang that on a gallery wall, if it doesn't look like this, if it's not perfect, right, like mm-hmm. then you're not creative, you're not an artist. But, you know, we have to start to reframe that and and see ourselves as truly curious even if it looks a little different than someone else, right? So, and I would say that at the the heart of curiosity is do you make people feel like you matter, right? Like mm-hmm. and you do that for me and you do that for so many other guests and so many people in your life, right? And you are curious and that helps me and others feel like they matter, right? And it reminds me of what Oprah said in an interview she you know, she's like question asking, like savant, oh my god, so good, right? A, yeah. a host and interviewer of many, many years. And she said, whether it's, you know, President Obama, or a man that has been in prison um, for his whole life, um, practically, um, or Beyonce, who's teaching me how to twerk, they all asked the same question at the end of their interview, which is, how was that? Was that okay? Mm-hmm. The idea that you know, we all just want to know that our stories matter, that our life has meaning, that there is a reason for us to be here. And that's, at the end of the day, why we want relationships and what a fulfilling life looks like, right, is when we feel like we matter, when we help others feel like they matter, and that there is meaning in, in, this, in this pursuit. So I think that if you are on the quest of helping people to feel like they matter, which can even start with yourself, Expressing self-compassion towards yourself and help because we sometimes lose that thread. We Mm -hmm. we sometimes tell ourselves we don't matter. And myself and many others are on that long life journey of reminding ourselves we do matter. We we matter so much. And we're on this quest of helping others who feel like they matter too. Then you're practicing curiosity, as far as I'm concerned. Because that desire to understand is different from knowing. And you know, knowing is just like I got some facts up my sleeve, right? But understanding gets to the heart of something much richer. It's really soulful, it's heart-centered. And like, that's the world I want to live in. And I think that when we practice more of that, we start to move away from what we're seeing around us in this world of incuriosity, right? People are getting canceled left and right. You know, even personally, I'm not just talking about celebrities, you know, it's like, oh, you don't believe in X, Y, Z, right? You have a different perspective than someone else, a different political view, whether it's on vaccines or a party or an issue, whatever, that people are now canceling and cutting each other from their lives. Even if this is like a sister or a best friend or a mentor or, you know, someone that we once had a really strong relationship with. And I think back to my own life, like, wow, that's, you know, sometimes it takes a little bit longer for folks to get towards understanding. And if we just cut people prematurely, they're never going to get there. In fact, they're just going to get more defensive and more Mm -hmm. siloed out and feel ostracized, right? When I was coming out as queer, you know not everyone was like oh my god 100 i'm down with it i celebrate you i totally understand it some people my loved ones were like i don't quite understand this like i'm worried about you you know like this is a phase you know and if i had cut those relationships prematurely because they didn't give me the answer i wanted wow i would have lost out on so much love and so much nourishment that those relationships later brought me because months later some some of them a year later you know they eventually understood me and they understood what that meant for me and they were able to move past their own emotions and find the love that was waiting for them at the end of it so Mm. yeah Yeah.
1: that's so beautiful that that um had me thinking about something you said in the very beginning of the book and introduction that i i can't i can't find this quote i had it on my altar where i meditate Mm. um for the longest time, and now it's gone. But luckily, I feel like I've memorized it. (laughs) Um, And I can't quote the author. I can't remember who it is, but it's something along the lines of... I would like my life to be a statement of love and compassion and where it is not, that is where my work lies. Mm. And mm. that kept coming up for me as I was reading the beginning of this, when you were talking about your motto being driven by love. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you just mentioned it, you know, like as a country, the, the cancel culture and Oh my gosh, I've, I can so resonate just a couple of really close friendships in my life, feeling like what happened here? How did we, yeah. how did this work? wedge get driven in between us and so your book is inspiring me to 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 kind of use that as a use those experiences those tough conversations those uncomfortable positions to be in to rekindle and learn something about that person and how I might have played a role in hurting them
2: Mm, and mm. what
1: can I learn about myself
2: exactly and how can
1: we both heal
2: I love that, I love that yeah- curiosity you know isn't you know I, I coined this term in the book, predatory curiosity, which is mm-hmm. it looks like curiosity you're asking questions, but there's some kind of agenda underneath you know there's like that gotcha moment it's it's like what a detective does, you know they're like asking questions, so from an outside viewer, it does look like curiosity, but it's so they can nail the person that they're talking to right, and that's not true curiosity, true curiosity. Is about going in with an open mind and open heart, and it's truly about understanding the person you're being curious with, right? And Mm -hmm. it's not about putting your own point of view up there. It's not about making sure you feel heard. It's not about asking the questions so that they can ask you the questions. Like how many times do we do these things with like our romantic partners or friends, right? It's truly about I'm asking this question for nothing in return, just to understand you, right? And what's really beautiful is that the research says that when we are curious towards others, it is more likely that they're going to be curious back to us. It's not promised always, but it is more likely, right? And it creates this like give and take spiral, right? Like you go to a coffee shop, hang out with a friend and you know, you're know you asking questions about their life. And they're like, okay, like, let me ask you a question about your life. And it becomes this like back and forth and, it, and that's what a beautiful conversation looks like. Um, I mean, obviously there's different forms of conversation sometimes people just need to like sit in the ick and sometimes you know one person really needs to be seen and heard but like over the duration of a relationship there's typically you know this back and forth this giving and taking and i like to remind folks that like you know that you know i I think there's a lot of frustration it's like oh well i'm being really curious with my sister or i'm being really curious with this friend but they're like never giving it back to me you know Mm -hmm. and it's it goes back to that um that that patience that grace that self-compassion and that true open-heartedness and i also read a whole chapter in the book about limits and boundaries you know sometimes you know, you go and try real hard, and they are not going to give you that curiosity back. And then it is going to become an energy draining, sucking, exploding kind of relationship. And it's okay to set boundaries in those cases, right? And I talk about a daughter mother relationship where the daughter had tried for, you know, years to be curious towards their mom, but the relationship was just one that was very toxic for her. Um, And she It didn't just impact her, it impacted her husband, her kids. And so she went no contact with her mom. And, you know, sometimes that's a really hard thing that we have to do. And that requires curiosity actually to get there. She had to be curious about what is this relationship actually giving to me? How much energy am I putting in and what am I getting back? And, you know, I'm working with my therapist to go in at all the harms that I felt growing up. This is not serving me. And I've tried really hard. And in that case, going no contact totally makes sense. It's just that we sometimes, cut people way earlier um, mm-hmm. than you know, we ought to because of the first sign of discomfort. But that discomfort is actually the source of growth, of understanding, of love, of so much more. And we have to learn to love that discomfort and, and work with it, not just shy
1: away from it. So. Is there anything else you would suggest in terms of practicing, flexing that muscle of being willing to sit in the discomfort mm-hmm. at least long enough to know, is this relationship yeah, I don't I don't want to say worth it. That's not the right t- term. But you know what I mean? It's like, how do I know if I need to go non contact or if there's something worth digging into more?
2: Yeah, yeah. I think that, you know. So for I mean, the first thing is, is this a story you're making up in your own mind? Or is this actually what's true? And that's why one of the practices in the book I have is back that ass up, where the ass is short for assumption. And it's because well, a, I love the juvenile song back that ass up," But also, it's really memorable. So it's helpful. But you know, we make so many assumptions, right? We're like, Oh, my gosh, like, I bet my partner is so disappointed in me because I like did XYZ, or they're so upset at me right now, or oh my gosh, I like did so bad on that work project. Like everyone probably thinks I'm so incompetent, or like, oh my gosh, like, uh, you know, I'm sure my mother in law thinks I'm, you know, so lazy because I'm struggling with unemployment. You know, we have these assumptions, but if we actually open up the conversation and talk to our partner, talk to our colleague, talk to our mother in law and say, hey, like, I don't know if this is just a story in my head, but I, I have this, you know, I was reading this book, Seek, and it was telling me to like, ch- you know, back that ass up and challenge my <laughs> assumptions. And I have this assumption that you think I'm lazy because I'm struggling with, you know, unemployment or, you know, that I did, you know, that I feel in, that I, I'm looked as incompetent because I struggled on that work project or that you're mad at me because of this, you know, is that true? Or can you tell me more about, you know, what your experience is? I want to understand it from you you might find that those assumptions that you're holding are actually not true. In fact, they're usually, at least if they're, if they are true, where they're, they're intensified to the nth degree, because we are sometimes harder on ourselves than, you know, compassionate towards ourselves often because of the culture we grow up in. And, um, you know, I think it's so important to like pressure test these assumptions that we have and sometimes the assumptions are not made by other people we're making assumptions about ourselves you know we have to also pressure test those assumptions we're making about ourselves, you know, like the assumption, do you really got to, you know, put in all this, like work and energy towards, you know, this job, which is taking away from your relationships, which is taking away from your health and your passions, your, you know, like, you also have to look inward and see what are the assumptions that you're making, that are guiding your own behaviors or your own mindsets. That might not be helping you to live the way that you want to live. That's in alignment of your value. That's in alignment of the relationships you're in. So um, I would say like backing that ass up, great way of testing, you know, know, pressure testing and and, and sort of going deeper into it. I I think the other thing that comes to mind is, um, which I think a lot of folks in this community will be really. Great at um is a power of visualization. So you know Alan Richardson, who's a sports psychologist. I mean, they use this a lot in you know it's called mental rehearsal. Oftentimes in sports, where you like imagine yourself shooting a free throw um, in basketball, or you imagine yourself like you know hitting that um, that uh, baseball with that bat. When you actually go through the visualization process, sports psychologists have found that visualization is pretty much almost as effective as like practicing every single day. It's very, very powerful. And you can use that same strategy of of visualizing in curiosity. So if you're going to go and see your teenager and have a really hard conversation with them, you know, lie down on your yoga mat, lie down on your bed and just like visualize yourself going through that experience. Where are you? what are you wearing? How do you come in? What are your nonverbals? What kinds of questions are you going to be asking? Okay, you say something, your teenager says something back, how are you responding to that versus reacting to that? And as you start to really mentally rehearse, you going through a curiosity conversation, um, that might be really uncomfortable or hostile or have tension, you know, you're actually going to be more successful because you're visualizing it and you're practicing that before you jump into the arena, right? So I think it's tools like that. And they're all in the book. There's like many, many more that you can just play at any moment that can help you to, um, you know, practice the skill, build the muscle and get better at it.
1: Yeah. Mm, yeah. So great. I love that. Yeah. It's fact that ass up is like going <laughs> to stick with me forever. And yes. I'm always going Scott. <laughs>
2: every time i dance now i go onto the dance floor and i it's i don't know i just can't think i can't stop thinking of that i'm like back that ass up okay oh test my assumptions okay back that you know i'm just like dancing to the music and thinking about how i'm gonna pressure test assumptions it's
1: great so helpful that is totally speaking of um like building that neuro what is it what is the word the science behind curiosity in terms of like neuroplasticity
2: or like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: my goodness um so yeah. I, we jumped into this conversation full speed ahead and I neglected to really introduce the audience to you, Scott. <laughs> yeah.
2: My guess is We just you got know, so excited. <laughs> I know, I did,
1: and I love that. These are the kind of conversations that I'm like, oh they just I'm touching my heart right now if mm-hmm. you can't if you're not watching the video because it really deeply resonates and sits with me. Mm-hmm. Um There's one thing I wanted to talk about in terms of nonverbal communication, but I also wanted to hear a little bit more about as I was reading the book, I was starting to visualize this speaking of visualization, this story of you in my head of like how the book came about and that year where you lived out of your car and you were driving around and putting yourself into these very interesting, challenging situations and um, I was just trying to kind of paint a roadmap for myself of how the book came about the work that you do or did at the Greater Good Science Center in UC Berkeley. Um, I just it's so fascinating. You know, you've totally. made a life out of this, this yeah. asking questions, this curiosity.
2: Yeah. It's, and it's I think really a know, life. Yeah, I think like, you know, I had a need in my own life, which I found out is universal <laughs> in many other people's lives and whenever you find a need like that and you find a way to address it in some way whether small or big like you can make a life out of it you know and so for me what i felt in 2016 especially um during the presidential election year oh my gosh i mean it's just it feels like the divisiveness and the polarization gets worse and worse every year i mean if it's not about book bans if it's not about um, you know another police brutality that's like you know a, a, a event if it's not another sort of um, sort of like crisis of a you know response to a natural disaster like a fire you know you know it's, there, there's so much division and polarization and at the heart of that is because so many people are hurting and suffering mm-hmm. and there's so many systems of inequity and oppression that are happening and like You know, as I was watching 2016 unfold before me, I was like, we're not talking about any of that stuff that actually matters. Like we're we're just like yelling at each other, canceling each other. We're not talking about the big issues, the systems, the things that we actually need to work on to stop our planet from, you know, heading towards catastrophe, to actually allow us to solve problems big problems in our society, like food insecurity or poverty or um, homelessness or, you know, things that are affecting real people and real people are suffering as a result of it. We're just yelling at each other and like arguing positions and we're not getting to the substance. And I even felt that, you know, in family and friend groups and, you know, so many different spaces in my community, you know, online, IRL, like you couldn't get away from it in 2016. And I feel like this is so everyone's experience even today. And, you know, some some of us, because it's the only way we know how to cope and I have a lot of compassion for it is we just like shut it out. We're like, not delete social media, never going to listen to the news, like not going to talk to these people. But that closes up our worlds, right? We stop, you know, supporting the fourth estate, which is an important part of society that holds truth to power. We stop learning about what's happening in our communities. We stop Being engaged with people who have different views from us and that creates bubbles. Like, there's all these like negative things that come from that. And I was just wondering, like, what do we do about this? Like, is there a solution or a way forward? Because right now, where I'm standing in 2016, things are just getting more and more heated and there seems to be no stopping it. And so, as I was like wrestling with that question, um, I thought, you know, I was working my job and It was like a fine job, but I felt like this like purpose that was inside of me that wasn't like being acted upon. It was like tapping me on the shoulders. It's like, you know, that's important. You know, that's affecting your life. It's affecting other people's lives. Like, why aren't you working on it? And then in 2019, I just like could not take it anymore. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna do something really wild. I'm gonna quit my job. I'm gonna take my 10 year old Prius, take out the back seats, go to Home Depot, spend like, you know, you know, like 100 whatever dollars, build a bed frame for the back seat. gonna, you know, soup up my Prius. This is like during the van life era too. So I was like, wow, they're, you know, I'm watching these YouTube videos. I'm like, wow, their vans are like real nice. My Prius did not have that clearance, did not, not have no fancy kitchens or anything like that. And then I got myself like a Planet Fitness membership, you know, cause it's 24 seven, it's everywhere around the country, you know, like could take a shower or whatever. And I was like, I'm gonna go to the heart, of this country. I'm going to break bread with people who have different views of me. I'm going to go to rallies of people with opposing views of me. I'm going to go to churches. I'm going to go to organizations that have anti LGBTQ views. And I'm not going to hide myself. I'm not going to pretend I'm a Republican. I'm not going to pretend that I'm straight. I'm going to be totally honest about who I am, but I'm going to approach it from a place of curiosity. Like, you know, so when I was at the rally, for instance, the Trump rally in Minnesota, I would. You know i was there alone went up to people in line and i said you know hi like i'm you know i'm scott like you know you just have small talk shallow curiosity with them and then i started to explain you know i hear so i'm a i'm a democrat but i'm here because i hear so much on the news and i hear so much from other people but that's probably just painting the stereotype or caricature and i really just i want to recognize and honor your humanity like I've, i i want to see you as a person because i know What separates us is is not like we have more in common (laughs) than what separates Mm -hmm. us. And there's so much I have to learn from you than what I'm just seeing, you know, plastered on the news. Like I want to see you as the fully three-dimensional being that you are. Like, can I ask you some questions, right? And I think people like don't go on the defensive when you start off a conversation like that and you're not like, why are you voting for Trump? And like, do you know what he did and said? And like, what, do you know what he's doing to my community? It's so combative and it doesn't allow people to open up and share their stories or backgrounds, like what you know, motivated them or inspired them to get to where they are today. And it's only from that kind of understanding that we're ever going to figure out how to come back together and how to you know, actually solve these big problems. So, yeah, and I talked to so many people at that rally and it was like a beautiful experience, actually. It transformed the way I saw people who voted for Trump. I had a very narrow, closed minded, mm-hmm. like straight up discriminatory view towards who a Trump voter was. And I started realizing, oh my gosh, you're so much more. You're humanitarians, you're eye doctors, you're nonprofit workers. You are parents. You, you know, they, you have the same kinds of values. You want to, you believe in family and and safety and all these things that I love and appreciate too. And yeah, we have disagreements around certain issue areas. I mean, that is you know true, but it doesn't mean that I can't see your humanity and you can't see mine and we can't understand each other. And it was like a beautiful beautiful experience. Um, But it was also really taxing in my body. I mean, doing, you know, A, you're just standing up for like six, seven hours. I don't know if you've been to one of these rallies, but they are like, it is like Black Friday shopping. It is like an intense atmosphere. Like people are ditching their like coolers and tents. And, you know, you're standing in a line for so long. There's like nowhere to sit. It's hot outside, you know. You get into this arena; it's like an NBA All Stars game. I've never been to one of those, but like you know, it's like very like heated environment. You're like, whoa! So I had to leave early actually. So I was like, I'm gonna get out of here. I did that like awkward like squeeze between the aisles, the knees. I was like, oh my god, sorry, sorry, sorry. You know, while Trump is talking, I was just like, I can't. I gotta like get out of here. It's too much for me. And there was this group of Trump voters that were leaving too, because they all had Trump gear. And I was like, oh, why are you leaving? Like the person you're here to see is like still talking. And they're like, oh, we're trying to get ahead of traffic. You know, the parking lot situation gets wild. And I was like, oh my God, I do that at music festivals too. I totally understand that. And so we're walking out, we get out of the arena and there's this counter protest that's happening. And these are people that are more aligned to my views politically. I mean, I've marched in some of these rallies And one guy is like, you fucking racist. Like he screams across like the street, like towards us leaving the arena, like pointing at us. He's like, get the fuck out of our town. Like he's just so enraged. And I like understand from a place of curiosity where that rage is coming from. There's like a lot of hurt. There's a lot of injustice. And like, The way that that made me and the people that I was with feel, it was so dehumanizing and minimizing. It made me close up. And I was kind of like, what the fuck? It made me angry. I was like, what the fuck, man? Like, I have way more in common politically and ideologically with you than I do with them, but you're treating me like I was treated, you know, as an Asian person by bigoted people who are like, what country are you from? Ching Chong, like, go back to where you can't. You know, it kind of had that same sort of you know, icky, hateful sort of like thread to it. And I was defeated. I like was sitting in my like car and I was like, are we actually gonna be able to move through this y'all? Like, I don't know. But then I saw everyone coming out of the Trump rally and this kid was like jumping up and like hitting, you know, the lights on the top of the parking garage and his mom was like laughing and I like, you know, put my keys in ignition and I drove out of the parking garage. And then as I was leaving, these counter protesters were like laughing so hard, like this one woman was like holding on to her friend and she was like clutching her stomach because she was laughing so hard. And I was like, isn't that what we all want? We just like want our kids to be kids. We want to like raise, you know, families, see our kids grow up. We want to laugh so hard into like, the hands of our friends. And we're doing the opposite of that, you know, when we encounter each other oftentimes. And so yeah, it just gave me that renewed hope and spirit of like, okay, we can get there, y'all. Like it's gonna be hard, it's gonna be taxing, it's gonna take a lot of energy. But what's waiting up for us on the other side, us feeling like we matter, us being able to laugh, us being able to be with our families, like the things that really matter, solving really big problems that affect real people. Like that's what's waiting for us on the other side. So I was like, "That's this is worthwhile. Like we can do this. Like let's keep moving forward."
1: You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. That is yeah, such a just good hang story. A picture here. Yeah. Like, Thank yeah. you. Oh, <clears throat> I I want to keep talking to you. <laughs> I don't want to let you go. Um, okay, let me try to make these last couple of questions succinct. <clears throat> I wanted to ask one follow-up question <clears throat> um, about that experience in terms of what kind of responses you got. Um, any mm. standout responses, yeah. any connections that you made that maybe you still have today? So that would be the first question. <laughs> Can you uh, hear me? No, I don't know. If, okay. I'm back. Yes.
2: We're back. Okay. Yes. Yay, we're
1: back. <laughs> did you hear yeah, that, that? whole question? Yes, I did. Okay. Yeah.
2: I think standout, um, conversations or responses. I mean, really, I just heard kind of going back to the you know, when people are curious towards us, we feel like we matter, right? But the opposite of that is when folks aren't curious with us, we feel like we really don't matter, right? Like when you come home from work, and it's like a hard day, and you're just needing someone to talk to, but you know, your partner or your roommate, whoever you're living with, like, you know, isn't expressing that sense of curiosity that maybe you would give to them if the roles were reversed. It can be defeating and and it can be hard to take in and it really can lead us to feel like we don't matter and i felt like that was what people were sharing with me in their stories you know a man who said you know my girlfriend is a democrat but her friends all think I'm stupid. Like, you know, we'll go to a part, you know, party or like a dinner or something. And I know they're like talking shit behind my back. I know they think just I'm an idiot. Like, I'm not dumb, you know, like I know. And it's just like this, these feelings of hurt and these feelings of being othered. And that just actually reinvigorated him into his own views, cemented him more into his views, made him realize, like, why this is the community, this is the path that he needs to be in. He's, like, not going to listen to anyone on that side. You know, and then we don't change as a result of that. We don't broaden our understanding of the world and people with different life experiences and what they're going through and how that's different from our own. And, you know, it just kind of just creates these bubbles around us right and we do it in an act of self-protection because no one wants to feel other no one wants to feel like they're the butt of jokes or they're, they're dumb but we sometimes do that unconsciously like even if we think we're saints like we sometimes do that we're like oh girl i can't believe you're dating that guy like do you know what he does like he like he doesn't believe in vaccines he's like it or like he doesn't do this mm-hmm. or he voted for this or like we do that so flippantly in conversations and if word gets around, and even to that person you're talking to who is obviously cares about this person if they're dating them and they're in a relationship with them, how does it make them feel when you say things like that right and it's a lack of curiosity, a lack of compassion, just like that that sort of statement you put on your altar. And what curiosity reminds us to do is to always go back to like, what is this person feeling? Like, how do I really understand where they're coming from, right? When your partner walks in the door and they've got that facial expression of defeat, like, what's going on? Do you want to talk about it? Or do you want me to, can I just sit with you? Or like, what do you need right now, right? Mm -hmm. But when we miss those moments and we're just like a bit too busy on our phones or too busy, you know, watching, you know reality TV which I you know I love I got I you know sometimes I binge too I totally get it we are human but if we overfocus on these things and we lose sight of what I think really matters in life and what I think so many of us really feel like matters in life which is our relationships and our connection to each other and our connection to spirit and to nature and to ourselves and to you know purpose and to helping to make this world a little bit better than when we came into it you know not worse so I think that curiosity is an ongoing practice that we have to do every single day and that it's worth it. It is worth it for us, for the people around us and for our life. And, and the science actually shows that curious people are happier. So you got more curiosity, you tend to be happier. The social science says curiosity is tied to a higher life satisfaction. Curiosity is tied to reduced anxiety. Curiosity is tied to higher levels of empathy, stronger relationships. Like there's so much data to show the power and the benefits of curiosity. It's like, those are the things I want in my life. You know, like I want to have stronger relationships. I want to be happier. I want to have more life satisfaction. Like I want to reduce my anxiety. Not that all anxiety is bad, but like, you know, I want to reduce my anxiety. So, you know, I think that is a helpful motivation for me and for many people like okay if you can't get motivated by like wanting to help other people feel like they matter then know that there is like some self-interesting or self-serving motivations for you to get curious and that as a byproduct at least you know it'll help others you know you know feel great too um, but no matter where you come in whether it's about helping others or helping yourself or both you know cuz it's not an either or um mm-hmm. you know curiosity really is a superpower that you know, gives us so much, but we're just not tapping into it as much as we should be. You know?
1: Yeah. Mm, I love that mic drop yeah. moment. Yeah,
2: like, <laughs> my mic is attached to this. I'm like, okay, how do I drop the mic? <laughs> yeah, like, and like, that's
1: not yeah. a, an expensive piece of equipment. So let's not actually drop yeah, it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, Scott, thank you so much for your time. I'm, yeah. I want to be mindful of it. And I, I literally could keep going. I do have a million more questions for you, but. You know you're you're a busy guy and uh, yeah thank you so much oh for my being gosh here. thank
2: you so much and thanks for elevating seek it is available everywhere you get books and I'm so um yeah honored to be on this conversation with you I think you know the last thing I'll say to listeners and to you is that the biggest currency we have in life is our time so you know it's it, unlike money unlike other things in life it, it's like the one thing that is like depletable finite. So I so appreciate you and everyone listening. Thank you so much. My deepest gratitude to you for taking the time to dive into curiosity, connect with me on all the ways, all the platforms, Instagram, wherever I do actually read DMs. I love connecting to people and I'd love to hear what you think of the book if you read Seek. So um, yeah, thanks so much for the opportunity also to be on the show. I really appreciate you.
1: Oh, thank you, Scott. (laughs) We appreciate you too. Oh, I love it. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Radically Loved Podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook at Radically Loved Rosie, on Instagram at Rosie Acosta, and Twitter at Rosie Acosta. By the way, this is original music by DJ Taz Rashid. You can follow DJ Taz on Spotify and check out the best music for yoga and meditation. This has been a Mod Pod Studio production. Check them out at www.modpodstudio.com.